0: And open with me to Matthew chapter seven. That last uh, that last reading we had from Ezekiel, I'm sure that Paul had that actually in mind. I'm not sure, but I'm speculating that he had that in mind when he was telling them that that his that that their blood is not on his hands. You know, he he did all that he could to to share. Uh, the, the hope that is in Christ. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 15 through 20 in chapter 7. As we continue on the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. So after relaxing, after a long weekend, summer, vacation in Florida, their 10-year-old son of Robert and Angela Berry of Grove City, Ohio. They left for the airport. They were going to leave for the airport to return home. Just before they left, a girl, the 10-year-old girl that the boy had befriended, came to their hotel room and gifted that that boy a, a teddy bear to take home, a sweet offering. As they went through the security, Orlando National International Airport the teddy bear went through the x-ray machine, like all the rest of the luggage, and the TSA agent spotted something in the bear. And when they opened the bear up, they found inside the bear was a loaded twenty two. Many times things don't, aren't what they seem. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they can be dangerous, even deadly. We have to be careful what we accept into our lives. That's why Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying about the false teachers that he's talking about today. We have to be careful about what we accept into our lives. We have to be careful about what we are, are listening to, what we are reading, what sermons we're listening to, what podcasts we're listening to. We have to be wise, we have to be discerning. That's what, Paul, that's what uh, Jesus is talking to us about today in verses 15 through 20. I want to start reading, though, at verse 13 so that we have the full context. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. As we looked at the scriptures last week, we saw that there are two gates, two roads, two destinations. There's a wide gate and an easy road. The gate is wide because you decide how you enter it. What is salvation? Well, salvation is what I think it should be. How do I get saved? Well, I I get saved by how I think I should be saved. The road is easy because there are no restrictions. You can live as you like. You can believe what you like. You can align yourself with the world as much or as little as you want. And Jesus says, you know, on this wide road, it's well populated. You're going to be walking along with a lot of people. You won't be lonely on this road. You won't have to make any hard, really hard decisions on this road. You won't have a hard life on this road. The only problem is that road leads to destruction. That road, that wide gate, that easy road leads to hell, is what Jesus is saying. And brothers and sisters, hell is a real place. It's a real destination. That's one of, the, one of the compelling reasons that God sent his son into the world. So that there would be another gate. He could have sat back and just let there be that one gate, one road, one destination. But he loved the world so much that he wanted to create another gate. And that gate is through Jesus Christ. And that road is narrow. The way in is exclusive, one way, Jesus Christ. The road is narrow. It requires things of you. It requires hard decisions, hard hard sacrifices in your life. It's a road that is much less travelled. You will be lonely on this road. It's scarcely populated. It requires personal sacrifice. It challenges your flesh. It challenges your emotions. It challenges your, your decisions. It requires you to travel light. It's a hard road. That's what we learned last week. And Jesus goes on to say in our passage this morning that this road is hard for yet another reason. Because it's populated with false teachers. You're going to get wrong encouragements on this road you're going to get bad teaching on this road. You're going to be told lies on this road. And these these people that are on this narrow road are going to look really good to you. And so he says, he warns them in verse 15, "Beware of these people. Beware of false prophets." Beware of false prophets. Now, prophets, a lot of times when we hear that word, we, we kind of instantly go to, oh, those are the people that tell the future. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. He's talking about those who, who speak forth the word of God. That's what, actually what that word means, to speak forth. So we see that in the Old Testament prophets where, where God told them things to speak forth, thus saith the Lord, right? We saw that in the prophets where they came later on and, and, and they built on what the previous prophets said. They said, look at what God says. Listen to what God says. They're, they're reminding people of what God says, the truth of what God says. And in the New Covenant, we have the apostles who, who again said, thus saith the Lord. You know, in, in Ephesians 2.22, it tells us that the, the prophets and the apostles are the foundation of truth. Then there are people like myself and, and you, too, who speak forth the word of God when we teach or when we preach. You do it when you share Christ with somebody. You're speaking forth truth. People who, who dig into the word and, and, and help make the word more understandable, more applicable. These are prophets, too. Modern-day prophets. And what Jesus is warning us about is about those men and women who explain the word wrongly. Now, you can either do that knowingly or you can also do that unknowingly. You can be a false prophet and not know that you're a false prophet. Those who open the Bible and give false explanations of what it says and what it means, what it applies to, who look and sound, and speak as if they're speaking the truth. But they're really speaking lies. R.C. Sproul said, the greatest threat to God's people is the false prophet. Listen to that. I think it's true. The greatest threat to God's people is the false prophet. And we live in an age, brothers and sisters, where you can get this at the literally, literally, at the tip of your fingers as you touch as you barely touch the screen on your on your phone you can you can go right into it and the new testament would agree with rc Sproul that it's the greatest threat because if you read the new testament you see that it is literally riddled with warnings about false teachers right it's it's Almost on on every third page of the New Testament is a warning of some some sort about new test about false prophets. I'm spending my time in the uh, pastoral epistles lately, just reading them over and over again, and and I'm just shocked at how many times just offhandedly they'll mention the dangers here. In Second Timothy, I was reading this week in chapter uh, five. He he talks about Hymenius and Philetus, who are these two false teachers who made it into the church. He warns them against them. Last time Paul saw the elders at Ephesus, last time he saw them in in Acts chapter 20, we're told one of the things he wanted to make sure that he said to them was this, be shepherds of the church of God, he's speaking to the elders, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. So be on your guard, he says. So I think he's, he's, he's remembering Jesus' words here. Beware. In Jude, which we're going to turn to later, Jude is a letter that is exclusively dedicated warning about false prophets. A whole letter. He says this, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. That's what false teachers do. They slip in. Paul wrote, warning his dear fellow laborer Titus, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced, he says. These are strong words because they are ruining whole households by teaching the things they ought not to teach. Ruining whole households. Scriptures could go on and on. You could just be quoting them all, all day. False teachers shipwreck the faith of individuals, households, churches, and denominations. And what makes them so insidious is they appear solid. They don't come looking and sounding like heretics. They look great and they sound great. They teach just enough truth to make you go lean in, you know, from your pew. They bend Christ's teaching just slightly that if you don't know God's word, You'll be just drawn right in. Their motives seem so sincere. They cry. They're emotional. Their teaching seems so clear. Oh, I listened to this guy. He was just so, so clear. So I mean, that's the, the part of the gift of teaching and preaching is that, is that you're clear. There's clarity there. As Jesus puts it here, they look like sheep, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're really evil. Toxic. Toxic to your soul. What makes this walk, this narrow road so much harder is that it is sprinkled with these types of men and women. It's sprinkled with them. You run into them all the time. Just consider two leaders. Let me read you about two leaders. Leader A lifted an entire nation in time of despair. He mobilized his people against unimaginable odds with a clear vision and inspiring passion. He launched a movement that has literally impacted everyone alive today. His, what he set in motion was the industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, the first jet airplane, the exploration of space, and unlock the mysteries of nuclear energy. Almost every aspect of modern lo- the world has in one way or another been influenced by this man. By the time he died at the age of 56, everyone on the planet knew his name. Then there's Leader B. Leader B lived during the same era. His life was very different. At the height of his influence, Leader B ran a school for about a hundred kids. He wrote a few books, but was not widely regarded. He was beloved by his friends and family and had a reputation of being intelligent and, and faithful. But the, at the time of his death, almost no one knew his name. And most considered his life's work unfulfilled, including himself. So given the choice, which leader's strategy would you rather study? Which conference would you rather attend whose keynote speaker might be Leader A and Leader B is in maybe the hallway in the back with a couple chairs? Who would you go and sit under? If you chose Leader A, you chose Adolf Hitler. If you chose Leader B, you chose Dietrich Bonhoeffer. See, it's not always the way it appears, is it? It's not always how it looks. You know, we, we look on the screen and we see these preachers that preach to 24,000 in the civic arena every week and we go, that guy must be saying something truthful. I must listen to him. Look at how slick it all looks. Look at how wonderful it all looks. Boy, well, he's really polished. Oh, he preaches without notes, and my pastor preaches with notes. He must be better. It's hard to detect wolves, because they look like sheep. So Jesus says, study these men. Study. Look at verses 16 through 20. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered through th- from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. He says, Listen, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says twice here, You will recognize them by their fruits. It's called an inclusio, okay? And it's used all throughout Scripture. You say something, you give some detail, then you say it again. Okay? He's just reiterating what we should do. Study these teachers. Study them. Be alert to what you're listening to. Listen carefully. Listen sharply. Listen acutely. Compare what they say to what God says. Study a person you are listening to. Study the the man or woman. Do some due diligence into their life. Analyze the people who are following them. What are the followers like? In other words, inspect their fruit. Jesus uses two trees as an example. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit or an unhealthy tree uh, bear good fruit. You will know what kind of tree it is what kind of teacher it is by their fruit. Because it's impossible, God says, in the long run, it's impossible in the long run for a bad tree to bear good fruit. So inspect their fruit. And there are three types of fruit I'd like us to look at this morning and look for in the teachers and preachers that are out there. Three types of fruit. The first is inspect the fruit of the teacher. Inspect the fruit of the teacher. In other words, keep watch on the teacher's lives. What are they like? Are they godly men and women or not? What is the pattern of their lives? What's the fruit of the Spirit evident in their own lives? Henry just wonderfully just took us through a prayer of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, and and, and really study that man or woman. Is that fruit? Not completely, but do we see evidence of Christ in that person? Are their lives marked out as examples that believers should follow? How about that one? Paul invited people to look at his life as he follows Christ, right? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, we're called to... To do that, same thing with the elders, the elders of any church, are elders. Says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. You know, one of the qualifications of being an elder is being apt to teach. Doesn't mean preaching. Doesn't mean teaching back in Sunday school. Could be counseling. Could be, you know, discipling. Teaching it takes a lot of various forms. But an elder should have that quality. And so, it says here, you should be studying their life. Is their life worthy of of imitating as they follow Christ? They should be mature and fruit-bearing. Teachers should have a fruitful life worth imitating. Not perfect, not perfect. But there should be qualities of Christ that you say, yes, that and that. I see it, I see it. A life marked out by humility and repentance i would encourage you to look for those in teachers lives are they humble and when they fall are they repentant a life that desires to follow christ a life that shows spiritual transformation a person that has the holy spirit god inside them necessarily changes you change not instantly But you change over time. Teachers should have that maturity in their life. A life where Christ peeks through, James Boyce wrote, which is very challenging, progress in the Christian life is slow and new believers may be far from producing that which is unmistakably good fruit. But teachers must. If teachers are not living a high level of Christianity and are not producing good fruit, they are false teachers and wolves, he writes. That's why Jude 4 describes them as godless men. He goes on to say, Grumblers and fault finders, they follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. False teachers are a diseased tree whose fruit eventually will be seen for what it is. Sometimes it takes time. I think that's why Jesus uses a tree for an example. I mean, in in March, I can look at two trees and think, that's pretty much the same tree. But over time, as the leaves come out and then the fruit is born, you go, ah, different trees. It takes time. I don't know about you, but when the televangelists first hit the airwaves in the early 80s, it was hard to tell who who was true and who was false. They all looked great, right? But as time went on, you began to see the fruit of their ministry, right? I mean, Jim and Tammy Baker are are the kind of the 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 quintessential example of this. I mean, they they came, they rose huge in the '80s with the PTL Praise the Lord Network, and you know they did Christian interviews and they did they did teachings and music, and and it all looked great, and Jim and Tammy looked like the perfect couple, so to speak, and 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 but then, over time, you started to see it. you know when the allegations came out that he was having an affair with his secretary when the, when then when the investigation started, they saw that he was he was siphoning money off of the ministry to pay for his his lavish lifestyle you know and and then the the ministry crashed and crumbled and and there was uh there there was legal fights and and divorces and you know, he, was, he was, eventually went to prison. I mean, it eventually came out. But when you first saw it in 1981, you're like, gosh, this looks great. That's the story of typ- typically of false teachers. Eventually their godless way, their bad fruit comes to the surface. So first, inspect the life of the teachers. Keep close watch. Secondly, We are to inspect the fruit of their teaching. Inspect the fruit of their teaching. What is the effect of their teaching on the people that are sitting under it? What's the fruit being born in the lives of the people sitting under this ministry? What's the effect on the church? I mean, in the 19th century, the Wellhausen School of Higher Criticism this this, uh, in Germany birthed what we now call modern liberalism. It wasn't called that back then. We know it for what it is now. But back then, it was a teaching that came out and just spread like wildfire in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Teachers and teachings were embraced by seminaries and churches. Its rational view of the scriptures and strictly historical take on Jesus was thought of as enlightening and deep and virtuous but the fruit of that teaching now is evident, isn't it? What's happened to all those, those people in churches and denominations that just absorbed this and then fed it to their people? What happened to those? The cathedrals of, of Europe are, are mausoleums now. The denominations that, that took that in are dying now. The churches... That preach that are empty now. This is the fruit of false teachers and teachings upon the church. It has the exact same effect on the individual as well. So Jesus tells us to inspect the fruit of their teaching. What are the people like who are sitting under this teaching? Not the fruit of quantity and numbers. Not that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about quality and endurance. Like, does the teaching create deep faith that can withstand the storms of life? Does it encourage a faith that is awed at the mystery of God? Does, it teach, does their teaching create a rational thinker or a person of deep faith? Does it nurture a person who can understand the Word of God on their own? Does it grow a deep appreciation for the Word of God and a thirst for the Word of God? Does this teaching help a person see that it's suffering now, glory later, and not glory now, suffering later? Does, it teach, does his teaching guide you back again and again to the foot of the cross? Does his teaching point you to Christ as the all sufficient hope for everything in your life? Does his teaching show you the depth of your depravity and the hope found in Christ? Are his followers growing lesser, more humble, and Christ greater? Is there a desperation for Christ? In both the teacher and the student, a desperation for Christ? Are people sitting under his or her ministry growing in their understanding of how weak they are and how strong Christ is? Are they growing in their dependence on Christ? Are they growing in their devotion, devoting more of their lives to Christ in his kingdom and less to themselves in their own kingdom? Is his teaching encouraging people to be more sacrificial, more servant-hearted, more other-centered? I mean, if if you could wrap it up into one thing, is his teaching or her teaching satisfying your soul? And not just your head. William Barclay says, the real test of any teaching is, does it strengthen a man to bear the burdens of life? and to walk in the way he ought to go. That's a good distillation. Does it strengthen endurance and obedience? That's what he's saying. Not that every teacher and preacher is doing any of this. It is the Spirit's work. We know that. This is not the work of the teacher or preacher. It's the work of the Spirit. But God uses means. God uses means, conduits. And teachers and preachers are conduits through which the, spirits do, the Spirit does His work. Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. It's God who is transforming a person from the inside out, causing fruit to bear. But God uses means, and that means is the right teaching of God's Word. And when it is taught rightly, people with the Spirit of God inside them grow. When it is taught rightly, the people with the Spirit of God inside them grow. It's like putting miracle grow. The Word of God, Spirit of of God inside a person, you just grow. So, inspect the fruit of their teaching, the people. Inspect the fruit of the teacher, the person. And lastly, inspect the teaching fruit. Inspect the teaching fruit. In other words, this is the obvious one: inspect what is being taught. You know, be careful, be be listening, be acutely acutely listening for what is being taught. Make sure it's biblical. In Acts 17, that's what Paul says is so noble about the Bereans. He, he fled from Thessalonica down to Berea because the Jews in Thessalonica, once he started preaching the gospel, wanted to kill him. So he snuck out by night and he, he fled to Berea and he started preaching to the Jews there. And the, those Jews, unlike Thessalonica, they, they said, oh, that's really cool. Hold on, Paul. Let me check that out. It does say that in Isaiah 53. I never saw that before. What would you say, Paul? Hold on a second. I can't believe that. Moses did say there's going to be one like him coming. That's really, uh, this is amazing. So they, they sought the scriptures and examined the scriptures every day, it says, to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans checked Paul out. They checked what he said against the scriptures. They inspected the teacher's fruit that he was saying was fruit. As Daniel Doriani says, though, we, want, we do not want to hunt heretics, but neither are we indifferent from doctrinal error. So there's a balance here, brothers and sisters, right? We don't want to go into everything thinking, well, he's a heretic until he tells me he's not. No, we, we, we're not there to hunt heretics, but we are being very wise as serpents when we go in and we listen to somebody on a podcast, or on the TV, or on the radio, You know, we just turn on those two stations and drive here in in Maine, right? And we we just assume, well, it's a Christian station. No, don't assume that. Listen. Teachers and preachers are not perfect. means that, yes, we make mistakes. I make mistakes. Sometimes I might not get it right. I, I can tell you right now, I look back at my teaching and, uh, and preaching career, if you will, and some of the things I, I taught, I, can, I blush now. I think, oh, why did I say that? I wish I didn't say that. Okay, so we grow. And by the way, it's your responsibility before God to tell me this. Okay. I treasure those times when you show up at my door. It's not easy, but I, but I, I have learned to treasure them. When you say, you know, you said this. Uh, you know, is that what you meant? So hold me accountable. But we all need the people that we teach to help us in our error. Also, we have to balance this with we all have different views on second and third order things like baptism and end times and tongues and, and days of creation and things like that. But Jesus is not talking about those things when he's talking about false teachers. We can be in the same church and, and, and lovingly disagree about those things. He's talking about the foundational things, the first order things, the things where you can't be a Christian if you don't believe these things. And that's where false teachers make their teaching error in foundational first-order doctrines. And those are serious because those lead to death. The others lead to good discussions if you're loving towards one another. Those lead to death if you're listening and taking those in. Trail Magazine is one of the most widely read climbing magazines in the world. On February 4th, the issue provided directions for climbers descending Britain's highest peak, Ben Nevis. Returning from the 4,400-foot summit in bad weather requires explicit directions. The article gave step-by-step advice on navigating the trail down. The directions were wrong. The magazine gave explicit instructions that in bad weather, a climber should follow a bearing of 281 degrees from the summit in order to find the proper trail. If those directions were followed a person would turn and walk directly off a 1,000-foot cliff. Like that article, false teachers send people off in wrong directions that are at the very least dangerous, at the very most deadly, deadly, deadly directions. I think that's why, at least in part, That's what's going on in verses, I'm not going to exegete these, but in verses 21, 22, and 23, which we'll get to uh, next week, you know, where the Lord says that people come and say, Lord, I, I, I prophesied for you, I did all this stuff for you, and he says, go away from me, I never knew you. I think some of what's going on there could possibly be that these people who have lived under false teachers their whole life get before Christ, and he says... I never knew you. It wasn't the gospel you were listening to the whole time. At least in part, maybe. Almost every letter in the New Testament has warnings about false teachers because they're so dangerous. They're such a poison to the church. But there's one letter that talks about it exclusively, and I mentioned it before, and I would invite you to turn with me there to the, the letter of Jude. It's in the back of your Bible. Go to Revelation. It's right before Revelation. It's a short letter. In the time I have remaining, I'd like to cherry-pick Jude and give us five indicators of false teachers. Five indicators of false prophets. Five things to look out for so that we can be more wise and discerning when we hit the podcast, when we turn on the radio, when we turn on the TV, Now, I'm cherry picking it. There's a lot more here, but here are five. Look in verse 4. Jude writes, They are godless men. We've already covered that, right? Study the man. They are godless men who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. False teachers have a deficient view, a deficient understanding of God's grace. They have a deficient understanding of God's grace. They encourage wide path living on the, on the narrow path. Okay? They encourage wide path living on the narrow path. Telling you don't worry about obedience. God will forgive you. They tell you that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. They have a low view of God's law. Okay? Not a high view as we do as Orthodox believers. We have a high view. We consider God's law important and has a role in our life. They consider God's law a low view. You no longer have moral obligations. It can go as far as, as the antinomian view, which is, which is God's law doesn't have any role in our life anymore. That's not true. Paul answers that in Romans 6, where he says, Are we to continue to sin as that grace may abound? That's, that's exactly what he's running into. These people that say, Christ has come, law not important. And he says, by no means. Exclamation point. It's true, God is ever forgiving, but His grace must never be presumed upon. Secondly, in verse 4 again, they are godless men who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers get Jesus wrong. They get who Jesus is wrong. This is the biggie throughout all of church history. They get Jesus wrong. Scripture clearly teaches that that Jesus is God incarnate. Fully human, not half, fully human, fully God, two natures separate, but one. That's the orthodox view of who Jesus is. And false teachers pervert this in various ways. Church history is chock full of heretics and heresies regarding Christ. They either teach that he is God and not fully man, or that he is man and not fully God. And there are gradations in between there. By the way, that he is man and not fully God is the belief of All the false teachers, all of them, that are in the Jehovah's Witness in the Mormon church. Okay? So don't get duped into thinking that they are Christian. They are not. They are a cult, and they're chocked full of false teachers that teach that Christ is not God. And what they and all false teachers do is rob people of what is most precious to God's people. And what is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. They rob you of the gospel. The gospel demands that Jesus had to be fully human. Why? So that he could face temptation like we did. Like we do. And overcome it. And be sinless. Even though he's tempted in every way in which we were. Jesus had to be fully human so that he could be a like-for-like like sacrifice. You know, We just went through Hebrews. Hebrews makes a big deal about this. You know, a goat cannot atone for a man's sin. It has to be a man. That's, that's part of what chapter 10 in Hebrews is talking about. Jesus had to be fully divine to be a significant enough sacrifice for the sins of the world. I could die for Mike push him out of the way of a bus, and the bus hits me and kills me, but I've saved Mike, that's it. Jesus was God when he died. It was sufficient enough for the world's sin. Jesus had to be fully divine to conquer sin and death, to be raised from the dead. So that when he's raised from the dead, he can bring others with him. He had to be God to do that so that we have the opportunity to live forever. And false teachers rob people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They rob them of what is most precious to you. The gospel should be the most precious thing in your whole life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It's, It's beautiful. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's simply put the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope when you hear that, it's beautiful. I hope when you hear that, it's precious to you. I hope you listen for that on the radio and on your podcast. Because <laughs> that's what it's all about. And we should have a reaction when we hear the gospel. Maybe not like mine. You should have a reaction when you hear the gospel. There should be some type of reaction. Joy. Conviction. Hallelujah. It should be something. Mark had a I had a dog named Ernie. <laughs> if you've ever been over to Mark's house when Ernie was alive, this little dog, uh, you may even have scars from this dog because this dog bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always lifted my feet up when he came near me on the couch. And especially he bit you if, if you wanted to take him away from something that he loved, like a toy or food, if you tried to take him away I know Mark's family has scars because they were trying to take him away. They would turn and bite, reaction, because they're taking him away from something he loves. <clears throat> we should have a reaction when the gospel is taken away from us. Like Ernie. And false teachers try to take away what we love the most. Thirdly, in verse 8, in, in Jude, like Yet in like manner, these people also rely on dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. False teachers do not live under authority well. False teachers do not live under authority well. They typically have no accountability in their lives. Typically, they have no structure around them. Elders, they have, they are lone wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul's teachers typically teach to reject authority too. Paul taught over and over and over and over again in his letters to live well under authority, didn't he? Children, live well under the authority of your parents. He, sa- he spoke to slaves, he said, Slaves, live well under the authority of your master. He spoke to wives and said, Wives, live well under the authority of your husband. God's people are to live well under the authority of the elders. God's church in general is to live well under the authority of the government that God has placed over them. False teachers reject authority. Fourth, in verse 11, Woe to them for their walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. False teachers are all about the money. They're all about the gain. They're all about the profit. They're all about what they can get out of it. Balaam was a prophet for hire in Numbers 22 through 24. He was willing to say anything for a price. And you know, they called him down and said, Moab called him down and said, curse Israel. He said, no problem. What are you going to pay me? No need to spend too much time here, but false teachers are in it for the gain. Hank Hanegraaff says this, false teachers invite people to come to the master's table because of what's on it, not because of the master. False teachers seek money, fame, and prestige, and they, they know nothing about one of my heroes, Count Zinzendorf, what he said when he sent out his missionaries. They know nothing about this. He sent them out saying, go, preach the gospel, die. And be forgotten. They know nothing about that. Lastly, in verse twelve, false teachers says, Are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. False teachers are selfish and self focused. They're all about themselves. They care little about the sheep. They care little about the sheep. Uh, Jesus in John 10 said, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What he was doing there is he was actually giving us a principle that we were to follow. All the, all the under shepherds after him. That's the principle. It's not about us. It's about the sheep. So you sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your dreams for the sheep. You sacrifice your wants for the sheep. Even, you know, it's, always, it's come down in church history. You sacrifice your life for the sheep. There have been those examples. The cliffs around Cape St. George, Florida, are notorious for shipwrecks. And back in the mid-1800s, in 1857, in fact, a lighthouse was built to help navigate that. However, however after that lighthouse was built, ships continued to sink. They continued to wreck. More than two dozen ships over 40 years continued to sink on those same shoals. Hundreds and hundreds of lives lost. Eventually, in 1899, it was replaced by a point perpendicular lighthouse. But an investigation was was held as to why the lighthouse didn't work. And they found that it was placed in a poor location that actually wasn't visible In the areas that it needed to be most visible in. As they dug deeper, it was discovered that the architect, Andrew Alexander Dawson, chose the site for the lighthouse because it was closer to the quarry. He was more interested in ease of construction and profit than he was about saving lives. Brothers and sisters, that's how a false prophet operates. And to the man Jack, New Testament writers are telling us how serious and how dangerous they are. They're like ill-placed lighthouses that are beckoning people to wreck their their spiritual lives. They're like greedy architects who are totally self-focused. They're like trees who look so great on the outside, but are rotten on the inside. They're like, they're like sheep who, who look so great on the outside, but you, you take the, 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 the wool and you put, peel back in their ravenous wolves. So, brothers and sisters, I'm so grateful that Jesus took the time to say these words so that you could know to inspect the fruit of the teacher's lives, inspect the fruit of their teaching, the people sitting under them, and to inspect the teacher's fruit. What are they saying? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Give us discernment, Lord God. Let us never, ever forget this text as we turn on the dials, as we touch our iPhones, as we turn on the TV. Help us Lord to be wise and discerning. Cuz we want to have what is most precious to us and that is to hear your sweet gospel every day. In Jesus name. Amen. Please stand